This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about an incredible bionic hand, how scientists are watching what we eat from space, and a new study that looks into how humans feel about AI judging them. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. After a farming accident, a Swedish woman named Karen suffered debilitating pain in her right hand for 20 years. She described it feeling like her hand had been put into a meat grinder, and it was constant. She was on a perpetual cocktail of painkillers and other pain management therapies. And frankly, she didn't know what to do. Oh, that sounds awful. Even more so when you consider the fact that during that farming accident from 20 years ago, she lost her right arm. Hang on, so she was feeling debilitating pain in a hand she didn't even have anymore? Yep. She was having severe phantom pain, where she was perceiving pain signals from a limb that just didn't exist any longer. And like I said, this was serious. But the phantom pain isn't the most interesting part of Karen's story. The craziest part is how they eventually helped lessen that pain. Okay, so she had phantom pain for decades, and painkillers didn't really work. So is this some kind of gene therapy story? Nope, even better. They built a bionic hand that literally fused to her bones and more or less became a part of her body. Fused to her bones. Yes, this is called osseointegration, and doctors have been able to do something like it in the past. In this case, titanium bolts were implanted into the radius and the ulna. Uh, it's the two bones that are just below the elbow. And the bone tissue basically just bonded with them. So this is kind of like a real-life RoboCop kind of thing. I mean, kinda, but the osseointegration is just the tip of the iceberg because the team was also able to connect the hand to Karen's nervous system through a system of electrodes implanted in the surrounding nerves and muscles. The effect is sort of a two-way communication between her nervous system and the hand that lets her grab onto things and use her hand with some degree of normalcy. Okay, the mind-blowing thing about this is the idea that researchers can now create a bit of tech and literally fuse it with our bodies so that our brains are kind of like the computer controlling it. But I've seen other prosthetics before that the user can manipulate, mechanical fingers that wiggle or legs that walk. What makes this one different? So a couple of things. The first, for lack of a better word, is the interface. The fact is, most prosthetics can be super useful, but also super uncomfortable. Fitting them can be a real challenge, and they can actually cause pain. But it's something the patient deals with to gain function, right? So the fact that doctors are now fusing components of the prosthetic directly to the bone means that the prosthetics of the future can be stronger, bear more weight, be more responsive, and honestly just be more comfortable to wear. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. In Karen's case, the titanium prongs protrude out of the end of her arm, and she can basically install the hand whenever she needs it, and take it off when she doesn't. 
But the biggest thing for her is that having that hand has actually nearly eliminated the phantom pain that had left her suffering for so many years. I don't know how that works, but I'll take it. (laughs) Okay, the truth is doctors still don't know that much about how phantom pain works. But with this new tech, by fusing it to the bone, implanting electrodes, and even using AI, they say they can begin to give limbs back to those who have lost them. Plus, I bet it probably just looks pretty cool. Okay, it's actually really funny you say that, because that is actually one of their goals. The researchers who designed this say they wanted it to be shown and not hidden. It's not just about losing pain and gaining function. It's about giving folks their pride back. We've talked a lot about agriculture on the show before. There's new tech that helps bees fight off predators. There are all kinds of new genetic variants that help plants and trees grow and withstand diseases. Oh, there was even that tech that let farmers talk to their plants? That was wild. And all of that is worth talking about because, by some estimates, over 25% of the world's population suffers from malnutrition caused by a lack of micronutrients like calcium and potassium. Holy, wait, 25%? Yep, that is over 2 billion people. Okay, I didn't realize the problem with hunger was that huge. Let me stop you there real quick. This is specifically malnutrition, not hunger. Okay, what's the difference? Glad you asked. Hunger basically means you are not getting enough calories. Malnutrition is also called hidden hunger because you could be getting plenty of calories, but you're not getting enough of the essential nutrients and vitamins that you need. Gotcha. Okay, so with malnutrition, you're just not getting enough of the good stuff. Exactly. And that can lead to some pretty severe health problems like impaired development, and it can leave you more susceptible to all kinds of diseases. Okay, so I get the difference between hunger and malnutrition now, but how does this happen? Like, what's going on with the food that it's not nutritious? Uh, Lots of things. Probably the biggest issue is the soil. If the dirt isn't healthy or if it lacks micronutrients, then the crops you pull out of it will suffer the same fate. And climate change can also zap micronutrients from the soil. Heavier than usual rainfall can cause nutrient leaching, on and on. But here's the thing. If you know what crops are lacking nutrients, you can feed them with different fertilizers to enrich them and basically solve the problem. Okay, great. So how can you tell which crops lack nutrients? Well, on that front, I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news first, the way we do it now is just really, really hard and expensive. Researchers have to collect green samples and then have them tested in the lab. And that generally only gives you a measure of the nutrients in a crop after it's already been harvested. Yeah, okay, that that doesn't help at all. So what's the good news? Scientists in the Netherlands and at the National Research Council of Italy have started checking crops for nutrients from space. Did you say from space? I did. They have developed these instruments that can peek down on farmlands from satellites in orbit and analyze the concentrations of nutrients like phosphorus, magnesium, zinc, and potassium. Okay, so hang on. Let me see if I'm getting this right. If you're in the field testing, you are completely limited by, like, geography. You can only drive to so many cornfields in a single day, right? But from space, you can probably scan the whole world in a few days. Well, if not the whole world, you can scan an incredible amount of it. And that also means that scientists can deliver the analysis to farmers in real time before the harvest. So they can make the adjustments to the crop they're growing at the time. This honestly sounds like it could be a game changer. And for over 2 billion people, I mean, it's more of a revolution than anything. It could be. I have to add that it is still in testing. But so far, the results are promising for predicting the concentrations of some nutrients. But the feasibility still needs further research. However, if it works, this would indeed be crucial for countries where nutrient deficiencies are especially common, like many across Africa. Well, hidden hunger can't hide from the nutrition satellites in space. 
Uh, only Curiosity Daily could take a story about micronutrients and make it sound like a sci-fi blockbuster. In space. You know how every time you use like a ride-hailing app like Uber or Lyft, you're asked to rate the experience? Sure, you give the driver some amount of stars and maybe make a comment, and then usually the driver rates you too. Yeah, and the same thing happens on other apps like Airbnb or eBay. And after we all review each other, the apps take those reviews and smush them together and offer up average scores. Sure, you can see that this driver got an average of 4.8 stars or something like that. Okay, now imagine that instead of all of these users judging each other, it was AI doing all the judging. Mm, wait a second. You're saying that AI will actually form an opinion about, say, our quality as a rider using a ride-hailing app? Well, yeah. Would you be willing to let AI give you a moral rating? Oh, sounds like an episode of Black Mirror. Like, I, I think AI <laughs> is really cool in some cases, but letting it judge my morals, I don't know. Y'all see, you're not alone. A new study suggests that people just don't trust AI's ability to correctly judge their unique moral profile. Okay, I mean, yeah. But my big question is, why would we have AI judge our moral profiles? That is a great question. So let's talk about morals a little bit. Humans are constantly judging the moral traits of everyone around us, right? We use those judgments to figure out if the person we're talking to is trustworthy or if they're likely to behave badly and so on. And we do that one person at a time. It's relatively easy to just automatically get a sense of the moral fiber of all of your friends and family and neighbors in your own little community, but it's much, much harder to do when you're faced with massive populations of people. Sure, and I guess since we're all online now, the definition of a community has shifted a bit. And the amount of people we interact with or run up against is a bit more broad these days, and judging the moral behavior of everyone is, uh, is tough. Yep. So there's been talk here and there about allowing AI to observe human behavior both online and in real life and give each person a score. That sounds a bit dystopian, doesn't it? <laughs> well, that's what the research team wanted to know. Are people open to this kind of scoring? And if not, what is it that really gives them the creeps? So how do you test for that? Researchers from the University of Toulouse in France undertook a series of studies. They weren't trying to see how accurate AI was at judging morals. They only wanted to see how accurate humans thought AI wasn't judging them. So the first study found that about 40% of participants thought AI moral scoring was totally unacceptable. Only about 26% found the judgments to be accurate. But were they actually accurate? How did the participants' perception match the reality? See, that's the million-dollar question. Because in the next series of studies, participants took an inventory and were categorized into one of 16 moral profiles, and then they were asked how common they thought their profile was. So, like, they were asked just how unique they thought they were. Yeah, and 88% of participants underestimated how common their moral profile was. <laughs> so just about everyone thought that they were just super special. Exactly, and the researchers found that when people think that their moral profile is super unique, AI can't possibly begin to judge them accurately. Got it. So the participants didn't want AI to judge them because they didn't think AI could do a good job of it. Yep. Basically, they were afraid of being mischaracterized. All right. So what does this mean for social scoring? Are, are we about to enter a black mirror world? Oh, well, the study's authors say that this is evidence of some of the broader limitations of AI, especially when it comes to things like moral scoring. If people don't want to buy into it, or if we're creeped out by it, there's just not going to be much opportunity for businesses to take advantage of it. That's not to say AI isn't useful in other areas, but when it comes to being judgy, we're going to leave that to our friends and our neighbors. For now. <laughs> Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. 
After enduring 20 years of agonizing phantom limb pain from a farming accident, a woman received an advanced bionic prosthesis that fused human-machine interfaces, offering not just pain relief, but a restored sense of functionality. This groundbreaking tech revolutionizes prosthetics by melding skeletal attachment with electronic neural connectivity, paving the way for future of limb replacements. Addressing global malnutrition just got a space-age twist. Satellites from the European Space Agency's missions are now monitoring staple crops, offering a groundbreaking approach to ensure a nutritionally rich future for billions. People are hesitant to let AI score their morality, not just due to concerns about accuracy, but because they believe their moral compass is too unique for machines to understand. This resistance underscores our innate need to feel distinct in our values and morals. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 